Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I head in to visit a co-working facility to hear how it operates, what you get for your money and the role they will play in the future of work. Plus, Derek Riley will tell us all about the new Volkswagen ID Buzz. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Uh, we're also going to take a look back at what Francis Haugen had to say before the Joint Oireachtas Committee Earlier this week, uh, Miss Haugen is the Facebook whistleblower. She worked there for quite a while, left last year and has appeared at a number of these sort of hearings in different parts of the world, making allegations against Facebook, uh, particularly around the damage that the platform does. Uh, So I'll bring you some of that audio a little bit later on. But we're going to start this week with co-working. Um, I'm sure your office uh, and your family and friends' offices around the country are still grappling with the new normal and uh, embracing, hopefully, new ways of working. A lot of workplaces are looking at how hybrid working could work for them, if it would work for them, and what does that look like? I know some of my own friends don't necessarily want to be working from the kitchen table. And that is where these sort of flexible working spaces come into their own. Because not only do they offer hot desks, so if you just want to go in for a few hours, use a desk and go again, you can. They also offer dedicated desks or you can hire entire floors or multiple floors of buildings. And it's a more flexible way rather than taking out very expensive leases and the more traditional way, I suppose, that many of us will be all too familiar with. I was very eager to know more about what you get when you sign up for something like this. So I headed out to Thomas Street here in Dublin and I toured uh, Iconic Offices. This is one of the big players they've been around for quite a while. Uh, one of their buildings, this the, the building I was in is called The Masonry. Uh, I got an extensive tour and got to meet some of the staff as well. Leanne Cavanagh and I'm Chief Commercial Officer at Iconic Offices. So Iconic Offices is um, Ireland's leading workspace provider, flexible workspace. So we offer everything from um, private office space for businesses, um, desk dedicated co-working desks for individual or small teams and also hot hot desking desks. it's not just a members only space as well. We do also offer meeting rooms both for our members and non-members and also day passes and day offices for people that want to dip their toe into this whole kind of flex working environment. You've been around for quite a while. There's a lot of talk about co-working and new ways of working post-pandemic, but this is your bread and butter and has been for a while. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this for just over nine years now. So yeah, absolutely our, our bread and butter. And yeah, it's great that you know, in a sense, the pandemic has nearly educated people in this way of working. People are seeing it as a new way of working, but for us, it's been a way of working for nearly a decade now. Um, So it's great that, you know, people are coming to us that are uh, more educated in this model and are coming from that traditional office um, environment and setup to this more flex space. So tell us uh, where we are right now. Yeah, so we're in the Masonry, Thomas Street. It's one of 15 locations that we have in our portfolio. Um, At this location, we actually have um, a coffee shop during the day. 
Um, we have uh, private offices, co-working, so your dedicated, your hot desking desks, and meeting room services as well. I've walked up and down Thomas Street a billion times. People will know it as the home of Vicker Street. There's so much history and culture on this stretch of road. And um, tell me about acquiring this building and then revamping it because in all the times I've walked by, I've never seen it look as cool as it does right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, 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 the things that we love to, to do with all of our buildings and in, within our portfolio. We've everything from new developments and then period buildings like your Georgians and your Victorian period buildings. So what we like to do is we like to keep the, I suppose, the original features as best we can. And you'll see that now as we go through the building and put our own design stamp and modernise certain elements of it, but not forgetting the history that comes with the building and, and the area. And you'll absolutely see that in the masonry. We're really proud to, keep, to have kept you know some of the original features in this space awesome let's go for a little ramble yeah yeah so um as you walk in through the main door you're greeted with our coffee shop now our coffee shop is um, accessible by not only our members but any of the members of the public we've a lot of the local people that live nearby that will come in and grab a coffee grab something to eat bite to like a, a lunch or a sandwich or a muffin or whatever it might be so these guys aventura have been with us now um a few months and yeah, it's going really well and it's adding a bit of atmosphere to, to what now is a busy street again. So um, as you walk through here then, this is more um, extra space for our coffee shop. So you can come in, sit down, grab your coffee, sit down, get a bit of work done out here casually, meet friends. This space here is fully heated. Um, it kind of has that indoor-outdoor vibe. This tree is over 100 years old. Um, I mentioned earlier about the history of the building and the history of the area. Um, this particular building used to be a grain house, so um, this courtyard, these cobblestones that you see here are the originals. Um, and if we look up here, you'll see that there's a kind of quite large kind of windows and doors here. What used to happen was the horse and cart would come through what we now know as the main door, and they would pull up here and the workers would uh, release grains into the cart and the horses and cart would take them out. So if we turn into here then, our actual iconic reception, so iconic offices space is here. Um, any visitors will be greeted by our community team here. So we've got Emer and Nikki. So these guys actually manage the whole building. Um, they're here Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, they'll meet and greet any guests, any clients um, that need any help. They're here to assist with any of that. Um, it's effectively operates very similarly to a concierge in a hotel, basically. This building has a number of floors of private office space. What I'll do is I'll bring you through to our communal area where um, we find our kitchens, our kitchen facilities. So in all of our kitchens, we actually, to make it easier for our members, we stock the kitchen. So you'll get everything from your bean to cup coffee, teas, snacks, biscuits, um, milk will we'll fill the fridges. On occasion, as you can see, we'll put out like uh, cakes and little treats for people to, to fill up on to keep them going as they do they work through their busy day. Out here then is a communal area so this is just a space where people can move walk away from their desk area, their workspace, hang out, take a break or do casual meetings. 
Um, and how important is things like, you know, the kitchen facilities and those little snacks and the little perks? Because for such a long time, particularly in tech companies, we heard about, you know, beer fridges and ping pong tables being a massive draw to go and work somewhere. Is that a fundamental part of the ethos of our iconic to give those small little things that actually go a long way? Yeah, definitely. I suppose, you know, what, what we want to be able to help our clients, our members with is to just be able to focus on getting their work done right. So not have to think about, oh, I better go outside and find somewhere to get lunch. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm starting to get a bit hungry. It's been a busy day. I'm just going to fly in here and get a quick chocolate bar or whatever it might be. You know, it's also a space where, and you've probably heard this yourself, people gravitate towards the kitchen space to socialize you do it in your own house right most people spend most of their time in their kitchen so what we find is and you can see it here there's members that are you know walking away from the desk and communicating and and, and socializing as well so it's a space for people to kind of come together as a community um, and and like that you know it's a home away from home right so you've got the comforts of your home um, in your professional space out of the six meeting rooms that we have at this location, four of which, as you can see here, are currently split into four, but they actually have movable walls. So depending on the requirements or the size of the meeting that needs to be held, whether it be a boardroom style or theatre style or classroom style, we can actually open this space up for it to either be split into two slightly larger meeting rooms or one even bigger meeting room. Um, so this is a, a very popular option for people because of that flexibility. So it's lunchtime here, so mm -hmm. you can see a lot of people at the microwave and things like that. We also have shower facilities on site and bike storage, so you know you can cycle in, you can have a quick shower, get yourself ready, and then start your day. Mm -hmm. um, so we've an abundance of breakout space here. Um, it's perfect for you know those professional services that don't necessarily always need to be in that formal meeting room environment and set up. Um, they can do a quick 15-minute meeting with either you know colleagues or any guests in any of these um, breakout areas. And then here we have some uh, breakout team boots again, you know, particularly for uh, the co-workers or people that are working in quite big teams and they need to break away. They can pop in here and get a bit of work done either by themselves or with their small team. So now we're in the co-working area. So in this space, we offer a dedicated desk. So a dedicated desk would be a fixed assigned desk to the member. So it would be their desk 24-7, 365. They can leave any sort of um, external screens, stationery on their desk. Each desk comes with a lockable pedestal. Um, we also have what we call a floating membership that's um, probably more widely known as a hot desk. So it's an unassigned workspace desk where people can come and go. So it's perfect for laptop users, mm -hmm. people that don't necessarily need to have a, a set place to work, um, but just need somewhere to work in a, co in a co-working environment. We also have along this wall here, one and two person studios. So they're kind of like a, a entry level private office space. Um, perfect for smaller companies that are starting out that don't necessarily need or want to get into kind of the more substantial office spaces that might 
require three or four or five plus workstations. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we offer one to two person studios here as well and that would be part of the co-working environment. So it's great, as you can see here, you've got some people that while they might need a bit of privacy where they can close their door in the studio, they leave their doors open so they can feel like they're part of the community mm -hmm. and part of a, of a wider team. For the people who have the dedicated desks, can they benefit from using the postal address of this building? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you have a dedicated desk or a studio or a private office, you can use our address as your, um, your business address for post and our community team will actually handle that, um, handle the post and deliver it to your desk. So in the likes of the, the warehouse side of the building, we've got a lot more freedom to kind of reconfigure the space to the needs of um, our members. Mm -hmm. So um, where a client might want to take two or three or four, even a whole floor um, of space, but maybe they don't want it to be cellularized, so they don't want it to be in, you know, you know, two or three offices. They want it to be open plan. In the warehouse, we have the ability to knock down walls, mm -hmm. put up walls, put, you know, mini um, meeting rooms or breakout spaces within their space. Mm -hmm. So we can create a space for members with ease. So for companies that are, because a lot of people now are doing the work from home or remote working or hybrid working and so on. So if, for, for example, a company has gone down that route of working from home, but they want to have a day together with everybody in the company, so 30 or 40 or 50 people, they could hire a room like the one I'm standing in now, which has, I don't know, 20 desks or whatever. Yeah. And they could have a day of everyone working together. They yeah. could get this private space that's very functional, have access to the kitchens, to the tea and coffee, to your electricity, all the rest. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how the, the day office is designed. So, you know, yes, we have meeting rooms and they can either, like I said, boardroom or classroom style, but sometimes that doesn't work for teams that just want to get together. Mm -hmm. They actually want, a, a, you know, a standard, you know, a regular desk with an ergonomic chair um, that, that's fit out more like an office space. Um, rather than be around a boardroom, mm -hmm. right? So we're providing solutions for both of those requirements. Um, and particularly now at the moment, while companies are trying to figure out what they want to do and what they need to do for their team because they've spent X amount of time, you know, being told to work from home. And now people are kind of saying, well, we, we don't want to work from home anymore. You know, we need to get the team together. We need to be more productive. Um, we're finding that companies are now dipping their toe in the whole kind of coming back to the office by taking a day office mm -hmm. and then talking to us about taking, you know, um, more longevity in, in licenses. And so uh, is that something that, that is absolutely happening where companies who were doing the work from home thing, as you said, they just want to give their employees a bit of choice, perhaps. Can companies call up and get X amount of memberships and offer to them offer them to their staff to allow them to come and go as they please? Or does it have to be, I want Jess Kelly from Newstalk to work at the masonry Monday to Friday? We do both. Okay. We've seen both, we do both. We're so flexible. So um, let's take this office for example. You know, Newstalk might come in, they might have a hundred staff, right? Um, but um, they want to only offer a hybrid solution. So they might take this, say, 20-person office and put everyone on rotation. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you whether you want to set it where people book a desk within your own space. 
or you, they can just come and go as they please. It's kind of up to you how you want to do it. But we've seen companies that have done that now. So, you know, larger um, team sizes taking, you know, maybe half of what they may have taken pre-pandemic, but then rotating, mm -hmm. you know. So we're very much so flexible. However, there's also people that are coming. So Newstalk might say, I want to give Jess a, a dedicated desk because it's, you know, in the masonry because she lives around the corner, mm -hmm. right? So we can do that too. Okay. And that would be fixed, affixed to you. Mm -hmm. So we're very much so. And we always have been, you see. We've all, this is our model. Our model is, is flex. And can you just give us a guide to the, the pricing? Because I know myself back pre-pandemic when I was traveling the country, I'd often jump into co-working spaces, hire a hot desk for a day. Mm. But prices do vary as do the facilities and the environments in which you're working. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you go into a hot desking space, it could be like working in the middle of a farmyard. It could be so loud, not ideal circumstances, but there is an element of you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. So can you just give us a guide through to rough uh, pricing for each of the services that you offer? Yeah, so our, our hot desking can range anything from, you know, 170, 200 to about 350, depending on location, that's per month. Um, our dedicated ranges anything from um, that 250 mark to 400 again location dependent um, and our private offices then again it depends on the suite size the location of, of where the suite is in the building um, but again that could be anything from your you know your 400 500 per head up again building and location dependent yeah, I'm bringing you inside the masonry. This is one of the buildings hosted by iconic offices. They have all kinds of companies working out of their facilities right around the city. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to hear from the company CEO about how they got started and how they make money. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at newstalk.com. As ever, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can do so there. Uh, or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Before the break, Leanne Kavanagh, the CCO uh, with Iconic Offices, took me on a very interesting tour of the building. Uh, but before I left, I got to sit down with the CEO to understand a little bit more about the business side of things. So I'm Joe McGinley, CEO and founder of Iconic Offices. I guess we're definitely not the founders of Flexible Workspace in Ireland. There was plenty of people there before, before we came along. I think what we did was probably put our own stamp on things and do things in a bit more customer-centric way and in ways that people could identify with, with better. Um, so our first building was back, oh yeah, nine, nine years or so ago now on uh, Lower Baggett Street. So we took on a, a single Georgian uh, office property there. Um, so back then, it was kind of just at the tail end of the recession. We were kind of coming out of the recession. Um, and we really identified that. I had a different business at the time, which was an estate agency business. And I was actually looking space for space for my own business. Um, and so we took a portion of the building and then went on to uh, license out the remainder of the space to other tenants. And I guess they basically just really bought into the design concepts that I brought at the time. And that's what really helped spur the business on from that point. Um, for the next kind of two to three years after that, we took on one new building every quarter uh, and built up the, the portfolio organically from that stage. And what type of clients were utilizing the services at that stage? Because 
you know, pre-pandemic, I think the notion of everybody working remotely would have scared most business owners. Uh, the idea that people could do their jobs to the same capacity, if not better, when they're not in their traditional office space. It's a strange one. Um, so was it very much startups or what, what was the mix of people utilizing your services? Yeah, I guess we started growing the business in, in what's known as uh, Georgian office properties. So that would be the typical kind of office stock um, in and around Marion Square, Fitzwilliam Square, Baggett Street. Those types of buildings are quite cellular. They're split into maybe 10 or 12 offices naturally in the way that they're configured. So typically what you're looking at there is Irish SMEs. Um, so they would have been things like recruitment companies, architects. Um, yeah, and just kind of a breakdown of the broader SME uh, market. I think it's only when you get into like larger uh, purpose-built office buildings that you really start to see, I guess, pre-pandemic, the more companies that were doing more of the hybrid working at that point, which would, be, would have been primarily technology companies. Um, so if we look at where we are now, obviously you've grown significantly since that first building. How has it evolved and how has the demands that the clients want from you changed over that time? Are people coming with specific requests that you can facilitate or is it very much come in and here's what we have for you? Yeah, I guess, to be honest, it's gone through quite a few different cycles uh, during that point in time. Initially, it was just about providing high quality, cool uh, office space that people just couldn't find. But the market has matured a lot since then, both in flexible workspace, but also in kind of traditional office spaces. And I think people's expectations have really soared uh, in that period of time. I think employees are looking for just better and better uh, spaces to work in. And right now where we are in the pandemic, employers need to be offering a better space than what the employee has at home. And therefore the standard of just what uh, employers are looking for has really uh, really increased. In fact, we're seeing what is kind of a two-tiered market right now, where anything that's new and well-designed and ticks all the boxes is doing extremely well, and then anything that is average is doing really poor. And that was something that was just never there before, and that's kind of testament to employers just really wanting to push the boundaries. They know they need to be offering, you know, value to the employees to get them back in the office. They need. Um, top of the range spaces to be able to convince staff that they're they're safe and that it's it represents a, I suppose the right space for their employees to work in. When it comes to taking over a space like this, so as we mentioned earlier, we're on Thomas Street in the Masonry. It's an incredible building. We've just walked around it. How do you, from your business's point of view, assess the level of investment versus the predicted income from a building, and is it a gamble or are you always confident that it will pay off? Um, we had a motto from the very start and that was build it and they will come. So we try to build spaces that we would really, really love to work in ourselves. And it's always flowed through then that there's, if we're willing to invest our money in it and we would love to work in it, we know there's going to be hundreds of other people or companies um, that would like to work in the space too. So here in the masonry, which we're in now, it's 70,000 square foot on the gross area. And that equates to it being able to house up to about 1,000 people. So it's quite a large ecosystem, shall we say. And when it comes to designing it, I guess it's our uh, experience to date that lets us know, you know, how many meeting rooms do we need? What should be the ratio of office space versus common area versus co-working space? And I guess that's something that just comes with experience. but. 
we would have when we initially started taking buildings we would have started at about 3,000 square feet and here we're kind of up to 70,000 square feet so there's been a huge learning curve and uh, in change in the size and standard of buildings that we've done throughout that period of time. We heard from Leanne that there's a high concentration of iconic office uh, offerings in the Dublin 2 area. We're here now, as I mentioned, on Thomas Street. Are you constantly eyeing up where there is a demand and where there is a suitable building? Or are you focused on nurturing what you already have? Yeah, it's both, right? So uh, our customer base primarily is in Dublin city centre. Uh, and that's where we continue to plan to continue to expand. Uh, notwithstanding that, we are looking at opportunities outside of Dublin as well. Um, yeah, suburbs of Dublin, but also outside of Dublin. Um, so I think our vision would be to get a connected network around Ireland, and that's something that we're focused on right now. That was Joe McGinley, the CEO and co-founder of Iconic Offices, speaking to me earlier this week. I really enjoyed my time uh, walking around that building I could definitely see the appeal. Uh, if I didn't have an office, I think I would very much enjoy working in a space like that. Um, I would love to go and visit more co-working spaces around the country. You can email techtalk at newstalk.com. I would love to see and to hear more about how you're working. Has it changed? In what way has it changed? And are you happy with the changes as well? Uh, do drop me an email and uh, you can tweet me as well at Jess Kelly NT. Now, on Wednesday of this week, a former Facebook employee turned whistleblower, Francis Haugen, spoke before the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Tourism, Culture, Arts, Sport and Media. She called for mandatory transparency when it comes to social media companies, but also called for an independent review of the Data Protection Commission. Let's start with why she believes uh, we need mandatory transparency when it comes to social media companies. We got to where we are today because Facebook was not transparent. Think about it. We don't let children grade their own homework because, you know, humans are humans. You know, sometimes we need a little cut little corners. Sometimes we're stressed with other things. Because Facebook has only had to report publicly its profit and loss, what its expenses are, that's what it's optimized for. You know, Facebook had lots and lots of small solutions that would have radically reduced things like misinformation or inflammatory content. Things as simple as, and Twitter actually did this, requiring you to click on a link before you reshare it. Has anyone been censored by that action? Has anyone been oppressed because they had to click on a link before they reshared it? No. But Facebook chose not to do that because it decreased the amount of content distributed on the system by a very tiny amount. We're talking tenths of a percent here. And that meant it decreased profits. Unless we have mandated transparency, unless the public has the right to ask questions and get real validated data in return on an ongoing basis, right? They're gonna tell you they can't give you this data monthly or weekly, and that's a lie. Because if they, take, if they pull the data once, if they write the code once to pull this information, they have systems that allow them to run it every day if they want to, it's basically free. Unless we have mandated ongoing transparency there will not be enough eyes looking at these things because part of why Twitter is able to find these information operations is there are literally 10,000 researchers around the world who enjoy looking at this data and they find these security flaws. Unless we have a similar mechanism for Facebook, we will not have a level of public safety that is acceptable. Yeah, that is Francis Haugen, the former Facebook employee turned whistleblower, speaking for an Oireachtas committee. She joined uh, remotely and spoke for a number of hours answering 
all kinds of questions, which, you know, they touched on some really interesting issues. I was on with Kieran Cudahy on Wednesday afternoon talking through some of those. So you can listen back to that podcast if you want to hear more about what Miss Hagen had to say. Um, you'll find it on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. But the, the, the interesting and one of the headlines, I suppose, that impacts us here in Ireland uh, from that testimony Related to the Data Protection Commission, uh, I'm sure you are only too aware of the work that the Data Protection Commission does. They are one of the most important bodies when it comes to the enforcement of GDPR, um, other data protection related issues. So when it comes to your information, your data, if there is an issue, this is where you turn. Uh, but Francis Haugen had quite a lot to say about it, the, the Data Protection Commission. Uh, she said, as you create an independent, robust and effective online safety regulator, you must launch an independent review of the Data Protection Commission so that it too can start to enforce the law thoroughly and boldly. She also claimed that the Data Protection Commission has only concluded 2% of complaints. Now, the commissioner, uh, Helen Dixon, was talking to Pat Kenny on Thursday morning. But right after these allegations were made by Ms. Haugen, I spoke to the deputy commissioner at the Data Protection Commission, Graham Doyle, who responded to her criticism. Well, some of the criticism that I heard from Ms. Haugen today, and, and again, much of the criticism that we've heard in recent weeks and months, it originates from the same source when it comes to the statistics that are being put out there. And as we've said before, we're on record and um, we've provided information to many outlets to state that the, so the source and the statistics that have been put out there are just incorrect. And um, it's not the case that the DPC has only concluded 2% of complaints. I should say um, the GDPR itself, it's, it's a law that regulates everything. It seems to be the law that regulates everything. And we get, we get various types of complaints. We get very what we consider basic enough complaints that come into the office where an individual is complaining that they can't find the data protection officer details on let's say one of the big tech platforms websites um in other circumstances they're more complex where you have an individual who may be trying to close their social media account but they're being told they need a driver's license to do so however they didn't need a driver's license to open the account in the first instance and obviously something like that takes a lot more effort and work for ourselves in engaging with both the complainant themselves and also the platform in, in those circumstances. And then we have the more systemic type issues um, that affect the hundreds of millions of users right across the EU. And our WhatsApp case from last year and um, that we finalized last year would be a prime example of this, which was to do with the transparency afforded um, by WhatsApp for users across the EU. And that's resulted in a fine of 225 million euro um, that was issued by this office last year. And it's the second biggest fine that's been issued across the EU under the GDPR since 2018. So, you know, going back to the types of, you know, the complaints that I mentioned in relation to somebody looking to get DPO details, data protection officer details on a website, a claim for us to be formalizing decisions um, on these kind of basic complaints, it's both unnecessary and undesirable. Um, and it's not, it, it's actually not required under the GDPR. What happens here is we resolve the issues. We conclude the complaint, the individual, we point them in the right direction. Even in the circumstance of the complex case, as they say about somebody with the driving license, the closing account, we will engage with the platform, engage with the complainant. And we quite often conclude the complaint that's come in in a satisfactory way to the complainant. So that is resolved. 
And it's not, as I said earlier, it's not, it's not necessary and it's not desirable for ourselves once an issue is resolved, you know, for us to then start looking to open up some sort of a more systemic thing when it's not a systemic issue, it's an issue for an individual in question. And we move on to the next. And believe me, we have thousands of others of complaints of a similar nature that we need to move on to. And that's what we do. So again, going back to the source of all of the, the information, the fact that, that there's a claim that we have only concluded 2% of cases or complaints that's with us is just incorrect. Um, we're publishing our annual reports for 2021 tomorrow, which shows a significant, significant amount of work done in just last year and, and shows a significant amount of cases that have been concluded. And are you open or would you welcome uh, this independent review of the DPC? It's not a matter for ourselves to decide. My understanding is that the request is of a request to the Department of Justice for an independent review. Um, but again, I go back to what is this independent review? What What is it to be based on? Why, why is there a need for an independent review of the DPC? It's being based from what I'm aware and what I'm reading in the media myself. It's being based on claims that have been made that are founded in, in inaccuracies. Um, so what I think, as I say, our annual report, which is being published tomorrow, details the work of the DPC. And um, so I don't personally believe that there's a need for an independent review of how we do our operations. I think our record speaks for itself and is laid out there for you in the report that will be published tomorrow. That was Graham Doyle, Deputy Commissioner at the Data Protection Commission. Um, I think all eyes are going to remain on this issue for quite some time because it impacts pretty much every industry uh, whether you acknowledge that or accept it or are happy about it social media does play a vital role in society um, and I think what happens next in terms of regulation and enforcement of that regulation is vitally important uh, so we will absolutely bring you every and any update that occurs on this one here on News Talk but coming up next here on Tech Talk Derek Riley joins us to talk about a new EV from Volkswagen. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to the final part of Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. And I am very excited uh, to talk about the new Volkswagen ID Buzz um, because it's a strange looking thing. I've never seen anything like it before. And Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel is with me now to explain what it is who it's aimed at and is it worth the money? Um, Derek, how are you? I'm very good. Are you buzzing, Jess? Oh, maybe we won't do this interview. <laughs> I don't know if I can allow that sort of behaviour on this show. I'll reduce the number of buzzy terms I talk about today, I promise. Yeah, no buzzwords, please. Okay, so uh, the, the images, right? When I, you sent me a photograph of it and then obviously I did a bit of research myself and it looks... From the images, I don't know if it's the perspective, but it looks kind of like a Volkswagen van slash smart car slash Volkswagen Beetle all rolled up into the one vehicle. Very good. Yeah, so uh, I was looking off a couple of weeks ago to go over to the UK to what's called a covered drive. And that means I got to test drive it, but not able to talk about everything. And some elements were still covered of it. But to your point, it is very much harking back to the old VW design 
uh, that camper van that we know and love um, from the 1960s, 1970s. And this is going to be their fully electric commercial vehicle called the ID Buzz Cargo and passenger vehicle called the ID Buzz. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. Let's go back in time. Take a seat, mm-hmm. put your slippers on. Mm-hmm. 1972, Volkswagen brought a electric van to the Hanover Motor Show. So this, we've been chatting the last couple of years about all these electric vehicles that are hot, new, and the, the latest thing. It's This isn't the first time that manufacturers have gone to electric. Electric vans and cars were on sale before petrol and diesel van and cars. So Volkswagen brought this back in 1972. People loved it, but there just wasn't a market for it. 2017, the Detroit Motor Show, they brought the concept ID electric buzz. And everybody was like, this is, I want this. It's like a camper van. It's a surfer van. It is the coolest thing on four wheels. And Volkswagen went, right, we're going to make this so. And they have. And it's part of the ID family. So you have your ID3, ID4, ID5, which would be hatchback, SUV, etc. And this is going to be an MPV for passenger vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you can have five people in it currently, and there will be a seven-seater option. So it's going to go against the SUV trend that we've got going on at the moment. And it's the fastest segment of the car market. But this MPV or minibus or in, in Germany, they call them the bullies, B-U-L-L-I's. This is going to be something different that if you've got a family and you want to get around and utilize the best efficiency of space, this is going to be the most bang for your buck. But if you are someone who wants a vehicle like that, um, maybe you do a lot of road trips. For, for people who like to travel the country, like my um, sister-in-law, her partner is from Cork, her husband is from Cork, so they're up and down to Cork the entire time. They take the surfboard, they take the fishing rods, they take everything in between. But it's a long enough trek, so as ever, it comes down to what kind of range are we talking? So this is based on the MEB platform, so you've heard me talking about it before in the past. So Volkswagen Group have decided to make one platform and change the different types of bodies on the top. So the batteries are in in the base between the four wheels, and this has a 77 kilowatt hour usable battery. And that should get it between, you know, mid 300 kilometer ranges. So Dublin Cork, no problem. And this could be a stupid question, so forgive me. It's been a while since I've said that to you, actually. But um, d- does the weight impact uh, the, the the performance of the battery? So again, if they are going down to Cork and they have all of their equipment and everything, that, like bar the kitchen sink, will that dilute the battery performance? Yeah, like any engine, even in a petrol or diesel car, if you put more weight into it, it's not as efficient. So, yeah, absolutely. The heavier the cargo, uh, and this comes in a commercial vehicle as well. So it could be your uh, favorite online shopping site delivering packages around the place to you. So the heavier, the whether it's people, whether it's packages, yes, the range will be affected. But uh, the vehicle will understand what's what it's carrying. And very quickly, as you're driving along, it'll work out what kind of range is left in it. Mm, and you mentioned we spoke about that MEV platform before, so I assume that it charges in just the same way. Exactly, yeah. So it's it can charge um, up to one hundred and thirty or one hundred thirty-five kilowatts on DC. What does that mean, to Jess? You're talking fifty kilometers in about ten minutes. So every ten mm. minutes, you're putting fifty kilometers worth into it if you can find a fast enough. DC fast charger for it so and along the major routes from Dublin to Cork or Galway or whatever it may be you'll find these motorway services stations and they will have the faster chargers so 
again, we talked about in the past, you pop in for something to eat, you go to the restroom and you're ready to rock and roll again. But I, I, I'd have no problem saying that this will get from Dublin to Cork fully loaded without charging. Even if you're stopping for five, ten minutes, you should have enough to get you down there. Uh, so I mentioned that the outside of it looks very cool, very quirky. Mm. What about the insides of it? So this is going to come in a standard uh, wheelbase first. And so you'll have the option of a commercial vehicle. So you'll have two or three seats up at the front mm-hmm. uh, and then a bulkhead. So something that divides the front from the back. And then you'll have that cargo space in the back and it'll have up to four square meters. So perfect for city um, tradespeople or for logistic companies, for et cetera, et cetera. And then in the passenger version, it'll be uh, two people up the front, two captain seats the double armrests and then a, a bench of three behind that then later on it'll have a longer wheelbase and you'll have a bigger commercial van you'll also have the ability to put in a third row of seats which was seven seaters and i get asked this probably two or three times a week what i have a large family i've got i need a seven seater what electric options are out there and mm-hmm. they're very limited at the moment and so bringing a seven seater into the market will be a huge uh, a lot of people will be interested in that and then down the line 2024 potentially even 2025 this will be a camper van jess oh exciting so come out of the factory with a bed and blah 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 um yeah an electric road trip down along the line wild atlantic way is definitely on the cards i could see that selling absolutely but one of the things when i was doing my research for this uh, pretty much every article I read mentioned that supply issues may impact this. What have you heard on that front? Same with every manufacturer and same with every car and even outside of electric vehicles. And I know you've had Geraldine Herbert on with Pat Kenny there on a regular basis. And it's, it's yeah, the semiconductor shortage is still impacting everybody. Um, I think what Volkswagen are going to do are going to pace themselves into this. We're going to have the global launch on March the 9th. So we're going to know prices. So even at the moment, we don't exactly know prices. Mm-hmm. We're going to have it without the fancy stripy colors so we can see what it's going to come in. Um, and they're going to pace themselves. So they're going to start manufacturing in the first half of the year with deliveries starting towards the end of the year. And I think towards the end of this year, we should start to see things equalizing out with regards to semiconductors and all of these manufacturers that have been caught since the pandemic without and having such lean manufacturing and just-in-time manufacturing, they're going to be able to stockpile and, and potentially some manufacturers are even uh, producing semiconductors themselves now. Okay, so so from what you've seen when you got that little sneak peek, you think this is mm. impressive and it is, is it worth the hype that it seems to be getting? Yeah, there's a lot of people interested in it. And like the, there was a, a review done of the, the concept version done back in 2018 um, around California uh, by a YouTube channel over in the UK called Fully Charged to be known globally. Over four million people have watched that review. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't want SUVs they want the practicality of uh, a, a minibus, an MPV, uh, and the, like the luggage space in this is 1,100. In the passenger version, the five-seater is 1,100 liters. Like you're talking multiple large suitcases. So if you have a lot of things to carry around, be that bogies and pushchairs, or like your sister-in-law, where it's surfing and the kitchen sink and everything else in between, this is ticks a lot of boxes for practicality. But because it's an electric platform, like it has a turning circle of 11 meters. Compare that against the likes of a Ford Transit, which would be over 13.3 meters. So like it'll turn on a sixpence. It has amazing space internally. You're all sitting up 
in beautiful captain's chairs, looking out, great visibility. It's a lovely driving experience. And I know, Jess, you're on that journey of, at some stage, getting your own driving license. I love <laughs> driving vans. Okay, interesting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that you're on the journey or that I love driving vans? I, I'd say I, both, both, but but you answer yeah. your bit about uh, yeah, driving I vans. I think, and vans are, nowadays, they weren't always the case, but people that drive vans are in vans all day, every day. So they have to be comfortable. They have to have good visibility. And so when they make one, and if it's a passenger version of that van, I think it's you're getting all the benefits of somebody that would be in a van all day, every day. So comfortable seats, good visibility and upright seating position. And you might only be going down to the shops or going to drop the kids to school or football practice or whatever it may be. I prefer that driving style because I'm up high and I can see what's going on. And it's, a, it's not an SUV and there's a, a, an anti-SUV movement out there just because this is more practical. Okay, I am intrigued. I think once we um, get one here in the country, I think we'll have to go for a spin and uh, I'll see if I, I do enjoy the, the van experience as much as you do. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to uh, talk once again just about the availability and the location of chargers, EV chargers around the country. There was a bit of talk about this earlier in the week. Some people, and I'm guessing they're not EV drivers, um, but some people are still very sceptical about, you know, getting from, you know, Cork to Donegal using an EV because they don't fully understand or appreciate or trust that there are charger points around the country. Are people right to still be worried about that? Or, you know, is that is that a thing of the past? I, it's definitely getting better. And those people, people who have bought electric vehicles have done the research and are confident that they're going to charge the majority of the times at home. So the ability to charge at home is number one. So if you've got that ability, you're, you're already on, on, on a home stretch. Where you're going, you can plan this in advance even before you purchase your electric vehicle to see, I regularly go from A to B. What's it like for chargers along that route? And there's lots of websites out there that will help you see, okay, I understand that there's between Dublin and Galway or even Galway and Clare, as a, whatever example you want to take, there's five chargers or there's 25 chargers. So there, there's a redundancy there. There's places that people, if one charger is already been used, that you can scoot on down the road and find another charger. So coverage is getting better people who buy EVs have done the research in the past and rarely get caught off off you know what I mean off guard or and without charge mm-hmm. the people that are worrying about the charging network are the ones that haven't done the research and haven't talked to other EV drivers and are just assuming just because I don't see them they're not out there there's lots of chargers hidden around the country that only EV drivers know where they are because they're looking for them and they and they get them so there's thousands of drivers around the country that are making these journeys to the remotest part of Ireland. And we're only a small Ireland, really. You know, mm-hmm. We're the perfect country for EVs because it's not like coast to coast in America. It literally is a couple of hundred kilometres, you know, 300 kilometres east to west and then four or 500 kilometres north to south, depending on what route you take. There are enough chargers at the moment. Now, the issue is more and more electric vehicles are coming on board so they're under a bit of pressure but the charging networks are catching up quickly but there's planning permission there's great connections there's other things that are stopping that whole process the red tape of of living in in a country but the people that are there are getting on with it they're getting around emission free from the tailpipe um, but the majority of our journeys are done 
from being charged at home and leaving at 100%. Um, there's very few people on the road all day, every day that are finding it difficult to get chargers that are out there because they're there. You just have to know where to look at and plan in advance. Yeah, absolutely. And we did um, a brilliant guide with Derek a few months back on different apps that are not essential to have, but they are very, very useful to have if you are an EV driver or a new EV driver or a potential EV driver. Uh, they're good things to have on your phone because they'll help you uh, find some of those charger points. They'll help you plan your routes. Uh, there's a whole host of apps that we recommended or Derek recommended. So you can find that up on the News Talk app powered by Golight. If you just search for Tech Talk and scroll through, you will find it there. Uh, Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel. Thank you so much as always for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. As I mentioned a second ago, you can listen back to this show in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. Hit subscribe and new episodes will arrive on your device every Friday afternoon. John Friday's up next here on News Talk. I will chat to you next week.